Hello, and welcome to the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I am your host, Alana George, and I am obsessed with real estate. Today, I have a great guest for you, Jack Aduo with Ken Bay Properties, and he shares with us a bunch of information on how he was able to scale his single-family portfolio how and why he jumped into multifamily and what he learned. His first two, here's a hint, his first two attempts were not successful. So you can hear what went down with that, what he learned and where he's at now. We also deep dive into what he looks for in a property manager for his 100 plus unit complexes. It's really interesting and not something that I have heard before. This list he gives us, I'm really excited to share that with you. Before we jump into the interview, if you are local to the San Jose area, I am now co-running the Multifamily Master San Jose chapter, and I'm super excited about it with my partner, Elsa Nguyen. And we have monthly events, so we have a meetup in person coming up. So check it out. I'll have a link to that on the show links. And if you just want to check out what multifamily masters MFM is, you'll be able to look at that as well. So let's hop into the show. Great. Welcome, Jack Aduo. Oh, did I say that Thank right? You. This time? you got it. You okay. got it. Jack Aduo <laughs> with Kendu Bay Properties. Thank you so yes. much for being on the Obsessed with Real Estate show. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to come and chat with you about real estate. I love talking about real estate. So you know, talking yeah. about real estate, I'm all in. You know, yes, tell me more and I'll tell you more, right? <laughs> yeah, sometimes I will admit, like I'm a decently social person, not to go on a tangent, but mm -hmm. I will have trouble sometimes coming up with other topics, especially if I'm like, you know, in work mode, right. and uh -huh. podcast <laughs> mode. And then I go to like a family party and I'm like, who am I? Do I have any, do I do anything else? Like, what can I talk yeah. about? So I'm happy that you're here and that you're mm -hmm. just obsessed. Welcome, welcome. You and, I, you and I mm -hmm. met through the Warrior program, actually prior to me joining Radcliffe's Warrior program. I didn't Yes. Know oh, I did not know you joined. Congratulations. Yeah, thank yes, you. Yes, yes. So when we met in Orlando, you had not yet joined, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. That was December, 2021. Mm -hmm. And I think we met in Orlando. You right. don't have to remember because I'm pretty sure it was at the bar and you like to <laughs> you have a lot of fun. Me, right? <laughs> so if you didn't remember, that's okay. But then we crossed paths in Denver believe, as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then we reconnected, I believe on Facebook. Yeah. And, and you know what? I've been getting Facebook. Mm -hmm. your emails. You did a really yes. great job of you know, taking my contact information and putting it in your database. So I was yes. getting your emails and I saw this guy's doing deals. He's sending mm -hmm. stuff, right? So obviously you're somebody to connect with, right? Thank you. You're Thank active. You. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of pick your brain and see, mm -hmm. you know, how did you become successful? So let's start from the beginning. Okay. Tell me about Tell me about your background before you got to real estate investing and what brought you ultimately to investing? Yes. So my background is I graduated actually out of college with computer science and mine and math in 2009. And as you can note, notice 2009 was the last major recession, right? 
Right. So right out of college, we moved from LA to Boise, came to Boise as an IT developer, a software developer with HP. They hired me right out of college to come and work actually in Boise. You know, the funny thing is when we moved to Boise, our plan was, okay, we're just going to live in Boise for a couple months and then, you know, move back to LA because all we knew was LA and Boise, but I mean, Boise, Idaho, because not everybody knows Boise, but at least they know Idaho. So Boise, Idaho. And, you know, we came here, settled in, you know, this online and for several, like coming from LA to Boise at that time, you know, real estate was very expensive in LA, still for a fresh college student. And then we moved to Boise and we could afford anything. And it's like, we can afford a really nice home. You know, we don't have to have a lot of money. It was very cheap and affordable. And, you know, we bought our first single family. And while we were trying to buy a first single family, you know, we put several offers. One mm. of the offers we really wanted, we really loved the house, you know, rejected our offer. It was a short sale. So mm. they rejected our offer. We ended up finding another house, which is the house we still live in until today, as of today. But, you know, after we got our house, that house that had rejected our offer came back on market and for even lower price. And mm. it was like $80,000, you know, like even lower than what we had originally offered. Like, wow. Because Boise did not bottom out until like 2011. So 2009, oh. it was going down, but still highly priced by local. Okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we're like, hey, why don't we just buy it and rent it out? And so we bought it, you know, went to the property, you know, we got a social, we put like 20% down with like, I think 16K, give or tax somewhere there. And the day we closed it, we were a tenant living on the house. The house was only about five years old. It was not overall. Wow. And the tenant was paying about $900 per month, give or mm-hmm. take. And our mortgage was coming to about $500. So, so day one, we're like, wait a minute, $400 net. Yeah. And all we had to do was put $16,000 down. After that, we're like, oh man, let's get more of this. So basically- Let's do it again. <laughs> yes, let's do it again. So we were living very frugal life at that time. No kids, you know, no, not a lot of expenses. We graduated out of college with no debt, you know, and being in the IT, I was getting paid pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so basically- it's one of those kind of just seeing the opportunity and jumping into it. And so we bought on average kind of like between 20, 2010 to basically 2013. If you ever think so, almost like every quarter we were buying a house. If you ever. Wow. Yes. And it was like, you know, cause the market kept going down, you know, so yeah. they didn't get cheaper. I think yeah. the lowest I bought was probably 70 something thousand, like, you know, mm-hmm. about 70,000. Anyway. So, so. That basically what kind of got us into the real estate. But during that time, my, I was still having my W-2 as an IT person. And uh, I started as a developer, then I become a technical lead. And then I got a job off with another company based out of Salt Lake City. And so I moved to Salt Lake City and I'd work for a company based out of there, Salt Lake City Metro. And uh, I worked there for about seven years, you know, started and by the time I left, I was an IT manager over there. And uh, basically, I retired from my IT job in 2021, around the same time we oh, met, wow. December 2021. Yeah. And that was around the time I retired from my IT. And I was like, I'm just going to do this full time. That's great. Well, yes. you were in a really great mood. So it's probably why <laughs> not, not having the W-2 anymore. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, so you went on like a buying spree when, mm-hmm. when the prices dropped. Did you know anyone prior to that that was Nobody. investing? No. No, I did okay. not. And, and I'm still regretting after now because I could have done. So it's, it's, it's funny. It's one of those, you know, a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. So the only reason why we stopped buying single family was because the lenders didn't want to lend us anymore because they were like, we were too risky. Because with us, we're just buying it and, you know, on our own mm-hmm. credit and no, just normal conventional financing, putting 20% down. And, you know, at that time, I don't know where it is right now. You know, at that time, if you, after you bought 10, four houses, then what is it, the, the, the government, Fannie and Freddie rules changes, right? So you mm-hmm. kind of like, they don't give you as much, you know, support, so to speak, as they would between one to four. Yeah. And, but then the moment you go beyond 10, now you're right. wrong, right? Because mm-hmm. you no longer, uh, you cannot get half a year loan, right? So any, yeah. any loan you get is a portfolio loan. I'm assuming it's still the same, but, you know, it's been years since I last bought a single family. Yeah, yeah but, the last uh, I heard it was the same. It was still the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, and I later found that there were a lot of creative financing I could do. Like some of mm-hmm. these homes were short sale that, you know, I, I knew we were selling it. If I can just approach, we were selling it, right? And yeah. you know, work out with them such that we do kind of like a sandwich or some mm-hmm. kind of creative financing. It would have mm-hmm. been, I would have been able to buy way more, but I did not know anybody. And I just saw the opportunity and jump on it. Right, right. Yes. So that's. That's the wall you hit was once they said mm-hmm. you're at 10 properties, we're not going to give you any more of these loans, Yes, right? You'd have mm-hmm. to do a portfolio loan. Then you're like, okay, well, that's, that's the ceiling. That's the wall. That's the ceiling. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that you had that going for you and was that enough? Okay. I have so many questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your first one was the one that you shared with us. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you learned like, Hey, this is a great way to build passive income. Was there anything else that you learned either from that deal or from building that portfolio? Well, with single families kind of, you know, is, is for the most part is plain, simple. There's not, no, nothing creative. Mm-hmm. Definitely learn a lot of, you know, microwaves and I, I remember one of the lessons learned was I had a guy attendant call me say the air condition air conditioner is not working right so I called the HVAC guy the guy charged me like I don't know I think like $150 and it turned out the fuse is what went out and it took him literally like you know 15 minutes to fix it and it's $150 yep and I'm like, man, I got to figure it out. So next time that same problem, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to try to replace it. And, you know, it worked. And wow. so you'd be surprised at the number of things that those guys are just going to rip you off. And there's nothing you can do. When I live in Utah, one of my biggest frustration was a tenant would call me on a Monday about an issue that I know is not expensive to fix. But I can't drive from Salt Lake to Boise to fix it because it's not worth the cost and the time. So I would be paying somebody yeah. that I know they're ripping <laughs> me off, but there's nothing I can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> That's funny. But at least, you know, I think it helped me a lot. Usually, I say progress in this business. 
like into multifamily because a lot of this thing like i remember one of my one of my maintenance guy on one of my properties we're talking about things that need to be done and they were like hey we need a vendor to because we had storage garages and they have the 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 opener is not working mm-hmm. i'm like you should be able to fix that because i know i can fix that on my own like <laughs> you're a maintenance guy that's not hard <laughs> no it's not hard i mean basically when you when that's what you do day in day out i mean yeah, fixing, yeah. you know installing <laughs> the opener like was a big deal you know but when i was getting started i was managing everything on my own so basically being the first call and when the tenants has this issue they'll call me in a lot of time i'll try to figure out thanks to youtube and those stuff you know and i'll twice initially i was calling every time it's an issue i'm calling somebody but once you say realize that you're paying people for things that takes you mm-hmm. 30 minutes to fix or back then I had more time in my hand, didn't have any kids yeah. or anything. So, you know, I would rather go spend three hours learning to do it because next time it wouldn't take me three hours, but if I can spend three hours learning to do it with me next time, somebody is going to rip me off to do the same repair. Or oh, funny thing is one of the things also that was happened was incinerator, right? So the garbage disposal, right? Mm-hmm. On one of our properties had gone out. So, well, it didn't go out. It just jumped. And I remember somebody coming, plumber coming, and all he had to do is use the, whatever it is. To, yeah. No, not even snake. It was the right term. What's the right tool? Plumber? I mean, the plunger? No, no. So... Oh, That's the extent of my knowledge, so I can't help you. So, so it's, it's a special tool to just unjam the, the garbage disposal at the bottom part of it. Yeah. It took the, the guy like 10 seconds to fix the issue, and there you go, 75 yeah. bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, really? That's all it took? Yes. So you get you didn't, you didn't get to learn a lot, you know, by watching people do it. And next time, just do it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. We, my husband and I have that discussion all the time because we mm-hmm. have some rentals in Ohio and yes. <laughs> I'll just hire somebody to do the things. Yes. They're overcharging. They know yes. we're in California, but it's worth it to me. Cause what are we going to do? Fly out there every time? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's not what the cost yeah. of going it down just there, but kills him because he's yes. like, I could do these things, but I'm not there. It doesn't take that long. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, I know, but you're also not a handyman and you have your own job. Yeah. <laughs> you have your own business here. So you can't be in two places. So it's funny that you say that, but then yes. moving to Salt Lake, it kind of forced you, which kind of mm-hmm. like I've heard helps with scaling when you do, when you, you know, aren't doing the work yourself is, is right. forces you to hire somebody else and not mm-hmm. be the one with a plunger. But so from there, because I know you kept investing. Right. <laughs> Is that when you pivoted to multifamily or tell me about that shift? Yeah. So it's kind of like what I alluded to earlier on. So, you know, I think after we bought more than 10 houses, buying more houses would be coming challenging. So I started looking for other ways. I started exploring, can I buy a fourplex? And I remember talking to this broker guy and they say that oh we only do 750k and above that was the first time a broker a mortgage broker that is that alone like they can only land 750k and above and i'm like tell me more and then they're like hey it has to be at least five units above and i started researching more into it and found that oh the loan is even better when you go above five units because now all of a sudden it's a commercial it's no longer res- yeah. you know, a residential and so 
after that, I started looking for bigger assets. So mm-hmm. I just want to pause you just for mm-hmm. a second for the listeners so we can back it up and just define that, mm-hmm. that one to four units is a residential loan and five yes. and above anything five and above a commercial is a commercial loan. So if you're buying a five unit or a 500 unit, they're both yes. considered commercial lending, which has different requirements than mm-hmm. primary. Primary is like, you know, you're buying a single family home. So there's pro, there's a lot of pros and cons. And it sounds like, you know, that was a huge pro for you is discovering the, the oh, commercial yeah. it was, side. It was a big relief. Yeah. Okay. Because so my biggest in. issue at that time was getting loan, right? Yeah. So finding about the commercial loan was a major, major relief. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking for fourplex, fiveplex, went into 20plex. I found a few friends that were willing to now join forces with me, you know, mm-hmm. co work and just some close family friend. So four of us. At that time, Idaho and Utah were now all of a sudden had made the turn and they were like, skyrocketing it's funny like a 20 unit in salt lake was like eighty thousand per unit right the same 20 mm-hmm. units right now program ten thousand per unit right and you go to ohio you'll be selling for like twenty thousand, right so mm-hmm. i first would try to look for a house in boys basically idaho and utah couldn't find anything then went to ohio look for deals i tried to get i found a really good deal of 52 units in springfield ohio Mm-hmm. And it's selling for about 20, 25K per unit to the 80s asset. And I remember the broker was willing to give it to us because, you know, we were the only, the highest price. And, but there were only four of us that were bringing the money. So in other words, you know, we did not know about syndication. So mm-hmm. at that point, it's more like we joined to get forces together. We buy together. And this is all we have. And the broker wanted, I think, at 100,000 or 200,000, which, the number would, would probably would have worked at that price, but we were maxed out. We did not know anybody else. So the deal fell apart. Mm-hmm. On a hindsight, it's good it fell apart because now that I'm thinking about it, Amanda writing at that time, yeah, <laughs> I was living in Utah where you get like 10% or at least, you know, 5% rent growth every month. It felt like that, you know. I yeah. mean, Utah, Idaho has always been, over the last you know, eight years has been skyrocketing in terms of rent. And my assumption mm-hmm. were like Utah assumption, we should have not been in Ohio, you know, it's not the same rent growth and mm-hmm. equity growth as what you'd expect in Utah. So I'm kind of glad it didn't go through. Mm-hmm. But then right after that is when I found about syndication. I remember one of my friends that actually was going to join forces with me on that deal had from Michael Blank, had about Michael Blank and listened to Michael Blank's podcast the Michael Blank talking about syndication. So then I went, mm-hmm. downloaded, you know, Michael Blank podcast and started listening about syndication. So that's where I learned about syndication. Oh, and okay. it was an eye opener for me. And so for the next several months, I was fully in researching, learning everything, you know, and just trying to dig in and learning as much as possible. And then cool. fast forward, I believe almost two years later or a year or so later, slightly over a year later, I got my first deal in Dallas, which was a 79 unit deal. Yes. <laughs> well, cool. it, it was that, that was a quite learn, a learning lesson because it was a syndication deal. So my first syndication deal, it was about a 4 million, I believe four and a half million, give or take somewhere there price. Mm-hmm. The issue is we got on a contract, everything was smooth, was running yeah. smooth. This was a 1971 asset with a mm-hmm. chiller. Well, two weeks before 
we closed, the chiller died, caught fire. You know, the chiller literally caught fire. So wait, what's a chiller? Oh, chiller like big air conditioner that runs the entire. Property. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, Got like it. yes, like you know, and it, it it is common in those states like Texas in the sixties and seventies, whereby this they'll basically have one air one air conditioner that both heats and during the winter and cools the entire complex during the summer. Okay, so thanks for defining that. Yeah, so the biggest challenge with that is that if it dies, which means the entire property goes down, you know, and so you can imagine yeah. like you know, all of a sudden, and this was this was in the middle of July, oh, went no. super hot, blazing hot, and it caught fire. Two weeks no. before we closed, they sell after after that happened. We're like, oh, that's no problem. We were even excited about it because now the mm -hmm. seller's gonna have to give us new chiller, right? And because uh, insurance is gonna pay. Well, the seller was smart enough. They figured out, hey, if we walk away from this deal, then which means we don't have to pay these guys and we can sell this property for higher price. Because oh. the reason why they sell it was at the price they did, which is a really good price, was because the chiller was on a deathbed. It was basically dying, you know, and they wanted to get out of it as soon as possible before it dies, except that it died right before we closed. <laughs> oh my God. So the, the seller was kind of trying to, I don't want yes. to say swindle you, but like put that on you, right? Yes. Yes. If and and we, we knew, sure. we knew we're getting in what we're getting into. We even had a CapEx. Mm -hmm. We had a budget like what, 300K, 400K, somewhere in that range. Okay. Towards mm -hmm. that. But it was going to be a perfect thing for us. Like if insurance has to pay for it, you know, right. then we don't worry right. about it. Anyway, so the seller walked away. So the deal fell apart. So mm -hmm. we had to refund all investors their money. I mean, right. this thing happened literally. We're done with everything. We were about basically about to close. This is two weeks before closing. You know, we're mm -hmm. just waiting for the lender to approve the loan. We raised mm -hmm. the money, we've done everything. Just let, let the lender approve the loan and we can close. And how much and of a raise was that? Do you remember? It was about one point two to 1.5 somewhere in that range about 20 percent, okay. give or take yes yeah that's mm -hmm. exciting for your first yeah. one i mean I think sorry that about it fell apart so. yes, but yeah yes. okay so listen land you know lost money but you know mm -hmm. it is part of what we signed up for a eh? part of being a general partner there's always those risks involved right so but more important than anything else was that every single investor got their money back the they completely understood what happened. A number of them ended up investing with me on more deals after that and, you know, build stronger relationship. Right. Yeah. Right. So then after that, you know, basically bought more property and more property. Yeah. Okay. So yes. it sounds like you, yeah, you've done a lot since then. Tell me about where your portfolio is at now. So right now, most of our, all our portfolios in Texas and Arizona, I'm not, oh. you know, uh, counting for the single family. I'm trying to talk about multifamily. Mm -hmm. So Texas and Arizona, predominantly in the Houston market. We used to have a deal in Dallas. We just sold it recently, uh, mid last year, not recently. And we have another property in Arillo, Texas, but mostly Houston market. That's our strongest, strongest market. And then of course, we also have deals in Phoenix too. Oh, okay. In Phoenix as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. All right. So you like the really hot places. Got it. Yes. Yes. So tell me about your current challenges with where your business is at now. You scaled quite a bit as much as you could with single family. You moved right. into syndications mm -hmm. and 
it sounds like you've got a lot of assets under management. What's your right. current challenge that you're facing? So this, there's a number of challenges for the existing properties. You know, right now, I think part of the challenge that everybody's having is the unknowns. Some of my assets have a bridge loan. So we've had, you know, interest rate go high. And thankfully, we have red cap, you know, that we basically has kicked in. So that has brought a lot of relief. But still, like some of this, you have tens of thousands of dollars. Now you have to pay extra per month. And so right. with the, everything going on the market, I believe that's the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, staffing has always been an issue. And that is funny. I just, we just fired management on three of our properties in Houston. And that's because it's, it's one of those scenarios whereby management that we signed up with was doing great. Mm-hmm. And then they got sold to another property management company. And when it gets sold to another property management company, we're not aligned. This mm-hmm. other one is a big institutional property management company. And we kept hearing stories. But more importantly, the property performance started going down. Uh-huh. And so we're like, okay, we better do something. So we had to fire. And so now we're going through the old process of reorg of the property management companies in order for us to be able to fully execute on our business plan. Uh, But like with any other property, there's always this and that need to be done from lender side, government side, the whole thing, you know. Insurance is definitely a big, big challenge every year. You Mm -hmm. know, on all my properties, they've increased by at least 30%. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. well, Houston had that a huge... Yes. Yeah, natural disaster not long ago. Yes. What was that? I know that it's oh, they have hurricanes like every year. There's Harvey, Irma, and this basically all kind of hurricane every year. Yeah. So, okay. it, so. It, it's it's a big challenge in terms of you know definitely all of a sudden like one of my properties we're paying about nine hundred per unit in in insurance. That's basically wow. one full month rent on one property or per unit, right? Every single right. one woman going to insurance. I mean, it is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, so knowing, yeah, knowing that you just, when you're underwriting, which I'm sure you've mm-hmm. come a long way in your underwriting. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah, luckily we assume those. So those are some things you have to kind of separate, right? Like those expenses, but there's certain things you can assume maybe 2% increase every year, but insurance mm-hmm. usually in a market like Houston, you definitely get an account for high insurance. Tax is also another issue in Texas, but right. we have a good protest, you know, tax protester. So that has helped us a lot in savings, mm-hmm. but we still get to count that every year, the laws be an increase in tax just because of the way the state operate. Right, right. So what are you doing? Because I'm assuming that you're still buying despite the surety in the market of where it's going. You're still buying. What are you doing differently moving forward? So definitely putting a lot more cushion, you know, mm-hmm. we are definitely going to be, actually this year, whatever property we're buying, we are to be a lot more careful with what kind of landing loan we put on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'll always still buy a rate cap. I think right now, whatever deal I get, if I can assume the current loan, it's, it's really if a Fannie or Freddie or mm-hmm. hard loan is much, much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely, if you're buying in a place like Texas, at least budget, whatever the seller is paying for insurance, budget 150% of that, you know, 
because mm-hmm. uh, you wow. know you, you you better be safe than regret you know because once you get the property you're stuck with it <laughs> yeah yeah there's no give backs <laughs> there's no give back definitely one thing i would also recommend is you know right now with everything going on two areas that i would highly recommend on is payroll payroll and mm-hmm. marketing i tell you you know good managers mm-hmm. and hard demand and I've lost good managers, you know, because I was not willing to pay them as much as I should. Mm-hmm. And if you can just budget a little extra, find a good manager and pay them. Because remember, the thing was stability, right? The more you have stability of the staff, the better, because there's always those knowledge about they have about the property, where the problem tenants, where things are, where the problem issues. Mm-hmm. And the moment that person leaves, the new person will have to learn all over again. And mm-hmm. when, when they're learning, it's going to show in the pro performance. You're going to see some right. kind of dip due to that. Yeah. And so I would always say, I would say for a market like Houston, of course, every market differs. I mean, Phoenix is going to be a different underwriting. Houston, for example, I, I used to say like, okay, budget for 1200 I would say right now in the Houston market, you should budget for at least 1400 mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that makes payroll, sense. As an example, I used to be fine, like, hey, marketing, 200 you know, right now I would say at least 350 because those are some of the things I've learned that you're better giving yourself a little extra because you're going to need it. Especially right. when you're tar- trying to turn around. I mean, think about you're coming in, you're cranking up the rent, you're kicking out the bad tenant, you're basically the new sheriff in town. You're going to have to be aggressive in tech, bringing more leads and bring more, more uh, new Residence, residents in. So which means you got to budget mm-hmm. a lot more in that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also which means also therefore hiring top notch you know managers that can help you run right right and right. of course Worth you it. know property management is is very key part of that because some of these property management companies that are kind of like institutional based like they used to managing on behalf of institution or family office mm-hmm. they're not with us we're basically flipping the property because we're holding right. it two to three years you know you know five yeah. is holding project holding fee but the the project is two to three years, which means right. you got to get a property manager who's in line with you, who yeah. knows your goal. And Maybe I would say some aggressive. of this, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's very important to understand how they operate, what's their background, what their history, what type of property mm-hmm. they typically own and how long typically most of their owners hold the property. I remember we were interviewing a property manager and they were like, we can only have a meeting once per month. I'm like, no, you know, all my property, I must have weekly meeting because I need to know literally every single week where we are in occupancy, where in delinquency, mm-hmm. with the make credits, the capex we got going on. Because I have a short time, I have a two-year window. I don't have like a 10-year window to do this. Yeah. And so having somebody who knows how syndication work and how syndicators operate, I think is very, very key. That's a really good yeah. tip on a couple tips there. So on that note, with those tips of what you're looking for or how you screen property managers, Mm -hmm. what's the criteria that you look for when interviewing or researching property managers for your big apartment buildings? Yes. So there are certain things that I think are very important. How many units they own, do they manage in their portfolio, right? Like if they manage like 500 units, you don't want to be all of a sudden you give them and you make like 80% of the entire portfolio, right? I personally think they should own at least 4,000 units, you know, okay. whereby, because 
one of the key things is the back office support, right? Mm -hmm. You want an accountant that you can reach out to anytime and will be able to provide the financial reports on time and all the lender requirement, draw requests and all those stuff. And if it's too small, you might not get that full back office, like the marketing, like you won't have a dedicated person to you, but you can have a marketing team that can help you with like website redesign, signing up contract with the apartment.com and all those places, coming up with a marketing package for your property. So having that back office is extremely critical and they have to have certain a minimum number you need for them to afford that kind of resource right yeah so that's the first thing where the basin i think is very key and if their presence is that market right because mm-hmm. you know could have a property manager you really like that's based out of say denver colorado but you are trying to buy a property in dallas if they don't have anything in dallas no matter how good they are you don't want to scenario but like every time you're regional you know, want to go to the property, they have to fly in, you know, because they don't have press in that market. So I think having a press in the market is very, very key. But also, it's not just also a present, but a good presence. Like, for example, actually, the major metro, you want like, oh, yeah, they have one property in Dallas. To me, that's not enough. They have to have a good whereby there's a local infrastructure to support you because you're going, they're going to need each other. It's, it's quite common for like, a property manager to be sick, right? Or what happened if you, you the leasing agent is sick and property manager is sick? You don't want to say like, okay, all of a sudden the office is closed because right. there's no somebody floating original who can come to the property to keep the doors open, right? I, I tend to look into, ask them about project management, actually if I'm going to have a lot of projects because some mm-hmm. property management company are good at ripping people off. Actually, if they say they have in-house management, I'm usually not a fan of that. Because yeah. I, I like to bid out the projects. And so that's very key. I always want to know what software do they use and will they allow us access to the software? Like if they're using Resman or Appfolio or, you know, mm-hmm. and try to whatever software they're using, will we be able to access that? Because I want like on a Sunday at 10 p.m., I'm trying to figure out where do we stand in occupancy as of today or get the latest rental, I don't have to send an email to get that. I should be able to just log in, download right. the information. Yeah. I want to know about the, the reports that they provide every month, you know, what kind mm-hmm. of details is, is included on that. I definitely want to know about their marketing team, the plan, the marketing staff and all that stuff. Cause I think that's very, very key. You know, some people put a, a lot of emphasis on management fee. To me, I don't consider that super high because if somebody can execute really, really well, yeah, then they're probably worth, worth it. it. But for yeah. the most part, they got to show that they can deliver before you can yeah. reward them a little extra, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make so, them really work for it. Yes. And I, I, I like to know, like, kind of like an idea of people that currently manage, that they manage their property for. Do they manage mostly for institution, for mom and pop? Do they man, manage mostly for uh, like, family office who, you know, are going to hold the property for 20 years. I'm very interested in somebody who's a good chunk of their portfolio is syndicated deals because syndicated deals is basically a flip. So there's a lot more, you know, aggressiveness in terms of how the syndicator want the project to be run. You know, of course, like I indicated earlier, meeting every week is extremely critical for me. I've had a scenario whereby I'm talking to a property manager and they're like, hey, you're not allowed to visit the property unless you notify in 48 hours and you're not allowed to talk to property manager. I'm like, no, 
I need I need to be able to visit the property anytime I want and be able to talk to the property manager at any time. Of course, it's yeah. always good to give heads up. And, mm-hmm. and I live in Boise, so I, one thing I never want to do is like I'm going to Houston and, and show up at the property and nobody's there. So sometimes I, I like to give that heads up, but I want to have the flexibility like, hey, if I smell something funny, I should mm-hmm. be able to go to the property at any time and talk to the on-site managers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's several things you have to do and in knowing how they operate, you know, making sure that they fully understand, you know, your vision, your goals, I think it's very important. Are there a lot of property managers? We keep using the example of Dallas, but for any metro area, like how many property managers are there that manage this size of buildings? right? This many units. I would imagine there would only be like a handful, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, you, there's so many. There's so many. So many. Oh, okay. so, so many. Yeah. This, yeah That's good. Look, competition. That's good. Yes. You yes. Want a lot. Yeah. The, the challenge is which of those are kind of like aligned with you as a syndicator. That's the question right. because some of those, like there's this property management company in Houston, based in Houston, they've been in, in the business for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And they have about 3,000 units. To me, that's an indication they're not doing something right. If you've been in the business for 15 years and you have 3,000 units, which means, you know, they're not good at running their business because otherwise they're not growing. They should show that they're growing. I know property management comes that started last couple of years or three years and they're only owning like 10,000 units, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, so. I think knowing properly that's kind of like aligned with the syndicate, whose goals are aligned with the syndicators, I think is very, very key. Yes, that's really interesting to dive deep into that. Thanks for that Uh, (laughs) long short list of things to look for. Cool. So tell me now, Jack, what would your advice to a beginner be? Somebody who's just wanting to get into real estate? Oh, so definitely got to spend a a lot more on your education. I think mm-hmm. it is extremely important to spend as my time on education. One of the good things that thanks to internet, there's a lot of resources you can get for free to learn, right? Mm-hmm. When I was trying to learn by myself, the moment I knew about syndication, I was all over the internet, you know, researching everything. And there's all kind of everything they just gotta filter out through the you know noise. But basically yeah. there's some good reputable, you know, places you can go and learn everything. I always recommend joining a group like warriors like the one you're part of i think mm-hmm. that kind of help you know speed up your learning process but to me more important than even the learning process is the networking you know the instant access to the people around you that you can call anytime because you can learn all you want but it's like it's like having a baby right you can read everything but the moment they come up they, they show up whatever you learn on the books is now <laughs> you gotta yeah. figure it out now <laughs> And so, so you want to be able to be in a position where you can call someone like say, okay, so what do I do here? I think it's, it's very good. It's very important to be surrounded, being an in an environment where you're surrounded with the right people that are pursuing the same goal as you. So right. that was my recommendation. Learn as much as you can, but also find a good, reliable group like you know, the waters that you can join. I'm not part of the waters just for the record. So it's oh, not like- Oh, you're not. You, know, you just, you're a part of the network. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, people, yes. you're also, you know, doing syndication. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is, is really good when you're getting started, right? But 
with me, I'm no longer getting started. So, right, so I'm, right, I'm at right. a different level at this point, you know, so to speak. You know, yeah. but if you're getting started, you definitely be in that kind of place where you can be surrounded by the right people that can help, yeah. you know, not only help educate you, but also provide you with the opportunities, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I remember like, you know, I was attending a conference in, in was it Dallas or Houston? Yeah, the Dallas or Houston. And <laughs> I was talking to this lady and high and husband, right? And we're chatting, grab a wine. We're talking, you know, we chatted till midnight. You know, and uh, fast forward two weeks later, a broker called me. As a matter of fact, I was out and out with the family on a vacation. The broker called me for a deal in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a really good deal. It's one of those deals that stood out. You know, I'm like, holy smoke, you know, this is a really good deal. And the deal just fell apart from another buyer. So mm-hmm. they were trying to find somebody else to get it. And when she called, he called me, I had to figure out who lived close to Amarillo. Well, it turned yeah. out this lady that I was hanging out with, with high and dust band were like four hours away. So I called her the next day, like, hey, go check it out. She yeah. went check it out. It was a good deal. We got it. Amazing. And, you know, so when you're in those kind of environment where you get surrounded with people, actually in the market you're trying to be in, thanks to multifamily of this size, you don't have to buy it in your neighborhood, right? You buy it right. nationally. I mean, and, I live in Boise, but I mostly buy in Texas and Arizona, right? So mm-hmm. I, I want to be in a position whereby if a broker called me tonight, I was saying like, hey, there's a deal in Houston. I have somebody in Houston that I can call the next day to go and take a look at the property for me because I don't want to go to Houston for every single lead. Like every time there's right. a lead, I go to Houston. It's going to be too expensive. Right, yeah, right. So. Not going to make yes. sense. So I think Mm -hmm. that's a really great point. And that's pretty much why I joined the group as well Is you Mm -hmm. know, I did a bunch of research on syndications on my own. I read lots of books. I listened to lots of podcasts. I did webinars or Mm -hmm. attended webinars, right? And I felt real ready. So I was going to start with, you know, a smaller commercial on my own. So I sent out mailers. I got a really good response rate on that, on those, right? Nice, Um, nice. The minute that they sent me, you know, all of the documents for underwriting, Mm-hmm. Right, which I'd studied. I yes. felt like I was pro. I mm-hmm. totally froze, and there wasn't anybody for me to call to help me through it. Right, I'd mm. go back to the books, but ultimately, right. I pretty much ghosted people and just didn't reply <laughs> because I got so I was so excited, and then just hit hit the wall of like fear because I didn't know what. I was doing or looking at at the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, surrounding myself with people who are a better than me at these things, yes. but also in line with what I'm wanting to be learning, and you know, two steps, three steps, five steps ahead of me. It was definitely worth it. It was mm-hmm. definitely worth it because I don't have that problem today, obviously. So, I, I completely agree. I think that's some really great advice. And on the note of education. What are some books that you recommend, whether related to investing or mindset or anything mm-hmm. that you would want to recommend? Yeah, so I would recommend, there's a number of books, but my top recommendation really for those who are starting, getting started, I, I still think you see Ken McElroy, ABC. He's in a tomorrow. real estate investing? Yes, originally, yes, yes, that one. I read it years ago. It was, a, you know, back when I was getting started, I think it was a quite an eye-opener for me. Uh, mm-hmm. From a mindset point of view, I highly recommend Things and Grow Rich by Napoleon mm. Hill. 
I yeah. just think that's a really, really good book in terms of getting you, you know, in the right mind, you know, to get in the business. Lately, there's been a lot of podcasts, you know, that, you know, listen to a lot, you know, you know, because it's not just the book also, but also listening to podcasts, right? And of course, Rod Cliff is always a great, great, great podcast to listen to. Usually he does that like five minute mindset kind of like, you know, episodes, you know, I thought, I think those are really really nice, you know, episode. There's uh, Old Capital. That's another great one. Old Capital Podcast is a great one. I also like to listen to non-real estate or just business, you know, general business like NPR Marketplace. I like that because mm-hmm. I just want to know what's going on in the market today. Right. Because at the end of the day, we are now on island, right? We got to know what's going on in the market. What's the inflation today? Like you're not going to hear much about you know, every time from Rod Cliff on daily update on inflation, but you got to go somewhere to find what's the daily update on inflation. And so NPR marketplace, I find it's a great, great 30 minute show just to hear what's going on in the marketplace and, and get to know. And there's also another really good website, Tom Wilwright or other podcast, Tom Wilwright. Tom, you probably know Tom Wilwright from a yeah. you know, tax strategy. I think that's a really great podcast to listen to. There's also, used to be called Refresh Your Wealth. Now it's Main Street Business Podcast. Also they talk about mm. tax and IRA investing. So those are some of the great podcasts I would highly, highly recommend somebody to listen to. That's a great group. I try to jot down notes here so we can provide links to those in the show notes. If you're listening yes. and you want to take mm-hmm. a look at those, you can hop on over there as well as the links to the books. So yeah. now I would love to hear a little bit of a brag what are you especially <laughs> proud of? Well, definitely family. You know, I have a five-year-old, you know, eight-year-old, 11-year-old. So they definitely keep me super busy. You know, I love, I love, believe it or not, a lot of people ask me like, hey, you're in Texas all the time, but why don't you just move to Texas? Because every time I see you, I see you in Texas. I'm like, yeah, no, I think I enjoy Boise more, you know. It, it has become expensive from real estate point of view, but everything else still better. I'm a big fan of small town. I love to ski, so it's kind of work handy like that. Yeah. Very outdoorsy. So to me, family and outdoor lifestyle is kind of like my thing. Super happy. If we can do that all day, I'll do that all day. And now working from home, thankfully I retired from my corporate job. So the flexibility of working from home, spending time with the kids in the morning, getting them ready for school and, you know, just simple things in life. Yeah, that's really special. That's really cool that you get to do that, that it's, you've achieved this early enough in their lives that you Mm -hmm. can make that impact, which is really powerful, right? Oh, yes. That's really cool. I would be proud of that too. <laughs> that being said, where are you going next? So I have a bunch of conferences that are coming up. So, but vacation wise, I'm going to Kenya in, where is it? About three weeks from now, for three weeks from today. So I'm looking forward to vacation wise for that. I was in Dominican Republic last month as in December, early December. It was fun. You know, it was nice enjoying the breeze and while working at the same time. Cool. You know, all I need is internet and my laptop right. and I'm good to go. And uh, yeah, so from vacation wise, yes, that's pretty much yeah. it. Nice. Yeah. Sounds, yes. like, sounds like you're enjoying a bit of geographic freedom, right? Oh, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. <laughs> I mean, the kid, it sounds like the kids are still in school. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they're you know, not so, tying you there, but you pretty much can go wherever you want and sounds like you are. So that's really cool. 
No, no doubt, no doubt. And, you know, like where we live is very family friendly. The school is very close to, you know, to my home. Like, you know, because with my, my work, I tend to travel a lot for conferences, you know, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, next week I'll be at NMHC conference yeah. in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, there's a conference in Miami I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And after oh, really that, quick, I'm going to. I want to I wanna pause the, you for a second. Mm -hmm. And I, what was the NMHC? The, yeah, NMHC. Yeah, I had Googled it. That's why I know what you're talking about because people kept <laughs> talking about it, but they wouldn't, nobody would spell it out. And so there are some people that will just, you know, put on forums and stuff like, what are you talking about? Whereas I'm yes. like Googling, I'm like, oh, <laughs> but now I forgot. It was, what was National, Mo National Multifamily Housing Council. So that's the, the main industry group for uh, multifamily, right? Yeah, and okay. it's, it's the leading industry group in our space, and anybody in our space. It's really once you get to a certain level, it's yeah. kind of part of what you want to do. One thing I love about the conference more than anything else is is one place I can go meet all the brokers that I want to meet with without necessarily traveling to everywhere they are. Mm -hmm. Like this year, my goal I really really want to get something in Florida. You know, talk about being obsessed. There you go. There I'm you obsessed go. <laughs> with trying to get something in Florida. I really, really want to get something in Florida this year. So bad. And yeah. going to this conference, I know all, not, not all, but there's certain key brokers all over the state that I've been wanting to meet with. And this is going to be one place I can meet with all of them in a day or two without necessarily, you know, driving all over the state and trying to meet. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then of course I got my usual brokers out of Texas that I try to keep close contact with. Mm -hmm. It's going to be nice to reconnect with them and meet with them. So this, the key, actually, it's like a, a broker's heaven. You want to meet all the brokers, they're going to be there. You know, I got some Utah brokers yeah. that I've always wanted to meet with. They're going to be there, you know, I'm going to reconnect with them, some Phoenix brokers. So it's going to be a nice place to reconnect with those, you know, key people that I really need for my next deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. pretty cool. And so now I would like to shift a little bit mm -hmm. and tell us a fun fact about you, Jack, that maybe people don't know or wouldn't know right off the bat. Oh, fun fact about me that many people do not know, right? Yeah. Well, I know I mentioned it early, but, you know, I love to ski, you know, and many people, that's one thing a lot of people do not know unless they know me and of course i mostly ski here in boise so you know unless you're All local right. yes but um also unless i love to cook unless so unless you know me personally or been to boise you know that's i'm a foodie so i love okay to cook anything you know so it's one of my passions do you have a signature dish so well i have something i would say Kenyan dish that I do make. Uh huh. Are you being modest? I call myself signature, <laughs> like you know, like that. I just know that one thing. I cook. I don't like to follow recipe. Oh. Okay. I'm not good at following recipe. Like, hey, put two tablespoons of salt or three <laughs> tablespoons of this. To me, it's all about the chemistry. Uh, so whenever okay. cook, you know, and you know, people the most part love it because I love to entertain. And a lot of people yeah. like you know, come to my house for dinner, whatever it is. And uh, okay, yeah, if I'm in uh, Boise, I'm making no, I'm stopping by. <laughs> anytime, anytime. 
it's funny that you say that because I think about this. So I cook dinner for my family, like just about every, every night and I'm responsible for dinners right now. And, mm -hmm. but if somebody was to ask me if I was a good cook, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily feel like I could say yes, because yes. I'm good at following recipes. Oh, and really? so it doesn't, <laughs> it's the opposite, right? If you, it's like, I can follow a recipe and cook, right? Mm -hmm. Does that make me a good cook or just a good recipe <laughs> follower? It doesn't feel like it comes out of me naturally. Does that make sense? So yes. I would say like, I cook, but I wouldn't consider myself a cook. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. I would also say the same, like, to me, it's the passion of the cooking. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's like they always say, like, that saying, like, hey, it's, it's all a matter of the love you you love into that food, mm -hmm. you know, like, what kind of love you put into the food that mm -hmm. makes the difference. And one thing, like, for example, I would sometimes see an idea, like, like okay, somebody tell me, okay, this is how it's done, how it's done. And I would start following the recipe. But then before I realized quickly, I'm starting to deviate. You know, like, yeah, I think you need a little bit of this. You live with that. Yeah. Before I realized I, yeah, it's my I own think, special, you know. Yeah. A, a few things come to mind. You'd really trust yourself with your with the creativity of that. And I love that the passion that you put yes. into it, right? I think I put just enough passion not to poison my family. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. That's that's you know, so you you're like my wife, you know, it's cooking is not her thing. And yeah. and with that, I think it's the funny thing with that, she if, if she can just go buy, you know, the pre-made, yeah, she'll be happy. But with me, the idea of cooking it from scratch felt really mm -hmm. good, you know. Mm -hmm. The idea of cutting the onions and the cutting the tomatoes and just that. I love that. So cool. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that with me. It sounds like we kind of already know what's next for you, right? Florida. There you <laughs> You're going to buy something in Florida. <laughs> We're putting it out to the universe. Yes. Um, yes. Is there anything else on the horizon for you? So right now, yeah, 2023 goal. It's funny. 22, this was a 2022 goal that got postponed 2023 because last year, Believe it or not, I think between January and like April, I was like going for like, I think between January, I probably, I had already gone like six times already and I had offers all over the place. Of course, then the market blew and mm -hmm. well, I had to put everything on hold, but I'm just hoping with the Fed meeting in a couple of weeks, there could be some sense of calm because what's holding me back, to be honest with you right now is they're known in the lending market. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good of a deal you have, the lending market, you know, makes things very, very challenging, you know. Yeah. And so in the horizon, back to your question, what do you have in the horizon? I want, and that's, I love Texas. Texas is my bread and butter in terms of market, but I want to diversify. I used to focus on Texas and Arizona, but Arizona just quickly and quickly becoming way, way more expensive and hard to get the numbers to pencil. Mm -hmm. But one thing I like about Florida is also the number of leads you get. You know, you know, in, in Arizona, you get Phoenix, right? And Tucson, right. and that's it. In Florida, you know, you get Tampa, you get Orlando, you get Jacksonville, you get Daytona, you get Miami, you get all over the place. So like every single day, I'm getting several leads yeah. in that state that could be a potential. 
Yeah, there's a lot of major cities in Florida. And I always yes. laugh because I go to these conferences and people say that they're from Florida. And I ask them, oh, where in Florida? Like, as if I have any idea where these cities <laughs> are, because I'm so unfamiliar, right? Yeah. With, with, I mean, I know the majors, Miami, Orlando, mm -hmm. right? Tampa, Sarasota. I know of them, but could I, you know, pinpoint which side they're on? No. Right. I'm like, what, what was the point of me even asking? I need to look at a map before I talk to somebody <laughs> next. How embarrassing. Yeah, that's funny. So, but yes, there are a lot of major metro areas in Florida. Mm -hmm. Florida's a really great market. Yes. Great weather also. So I can see definitely the draw. Mm -hmm. So how how could our listeners and watchers get in touch with you, Jack? Maybe hear about upcoming deals or just learn more from you. I'm always available to jump on a call with anybody who's interested. You know, like I love talking about real estate, anything and everything about real estate. And so the best way is always through my website. So kindubeproperties.com, same as the name of the companies. So just go, you can Google it. Or yeah, and that's kindubeproperties.com. K-E-N-D-U-B-A-Y. Properties.com. Property. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you go there, there's a link where you can link to schedule meeting with me, or you can email me directly, jack at kindubayproperties.com. Same thing, you know, you reach out to me and usually I'm available. So if, if you go to the website, my phone number, email, and everything is there. And, you know, I'd be glad to jump on a quick call and talk about anything. Cool. And if you have a deal in Florida, let me know. I'm only looking for uh, assets that are built in 2000 or new. That's a okay. key requirement. And at least 100 units or more in any major metro in Florida. So if you live okay. in Florida or if you happen to know a deal in Florida, off-market deal, because right now any broker in tech in Florida, I'm on their mailing list. So, <laughs> so if, <laughs> you're if, connected. If, if I'm connected. You know, that's how to get, you know, get the leads, right? Right, yes. right. Yeah. But also the same okay. thing in Texas. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for deals in Texas. You know, that's, those are my primary focus, you know, those two markets. But if you also have a deal in Arizona or Georgia or Utah or Idaho, please let me know. Okay. All right. Yes. You gave the listeners quite a great list of homework. So <laughs> if anybody has anything, reach out to Jack or have any, you know, questions or just want to talk about real estate because yes. you are super sweet and available. And I'm so happy that our paths have crossed. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you go to a lot of events. You're going to have a really great year. I know it. I'm so excited to watch thank you. you. On this journey. Well, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much, Jack. And we will keep in touch. Thank Definitely. you. Thank you. Well, that is it for our interview with Jack Aduo with Kendu Bay Properties. It was a little bit deeper dive of a show, in my opinion, with some of the terminology he was using. If you have any questions or would like more information on syndications, head over to my website, clearconnectioncapital.com, where you can sign up to hear our upcoming offerings and see if syndication and investing in that is right for you. If you did enjoy the episode, please leave a five-star review, like, subscribe, all the good stuff on whatever platform you're watching this or listening to this on, as well as head over to the show's website, if you'd like, where I have a list of all of the book recommendations, and you can send me a note saying you want to be on the show or you have some feedback, I'd love it. You could always connect with me also on Instagram. My handle is Alana George underscore real estate. 
So thanks again for watching the Obsessed with Real Estate show. I will see you on the next episode.